This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This bonus episode of Keeping Carlson is sponsored by Draft. Now, clearly, you love playing fantasy hockey. That's why you're listening to this podcast. We know you'll love playing fantasy on Draft. Draft is a simple daily fantasy app where you can do snake drafts just like you do at the beginning of your season-long league. You can do drafts whenever you want. They last for just one day, and they take only minutes to complete. On Draft, you can play for free or better yet, play for money. And get this, your chances of winning on Draft are over 200% better than your chances of winning on DraftKings or FanDuel. I've got the special guest for this episode with me, Cameron Robinson. I'll introduce him in a bit, but Cameron and I are going to do a draft right now for tonight's games. It's Wednesday, December 21st. There's only two games, the Capitals versus the Flyers and the Oilers versus the Coyotes. So it's a very small list of players for us to choose from. Cameron, how are you feeling? Are you confident? I'm feeling good, Elon. Yeah, let's do it. All right, we've started the draft. It looks like I have first pick. So it's going to be one goalie, one defense, and three forwards. I'm looking through my options here. So obviously, maybe I should start with the goalie. Hmm. So Holtby or Mason in that game. And there's Talbot versus Mike Smith. I do like uh, the Oilers versus Arizona. I'm going to go Cam Talbot. Nice. And now, Cam, you get two picks. I am going to uh, to make it easy on myself and take Connor McDavid with my first pick. Smart. And then I'm going to go uh, against the grain a little bit and take Steve Mason, red-hot Steve Mason. Oh, I don't know if that was a good strategy, man. I don't have any more goalies left. You could have waited for your last pick to take Steve oh, Mason. Oh, shoot. Good call. Yeah, yeah. First timer here. <laughs> All right. Well, good. I, I, you're probably still going to win because you have Connor McDavid. But okay, let me go Alex Ovechkin. He's going to destroy Steve Mason. It's basically mm. going to be whoever wins this game is going to determine who wins it. All right, then I might as well grab a defense. Who's the best D available? We've got Oliver Ekman Larson. Eh, he's been kind of slowly. Ghost Bears always good. Hmm, Sekera has actually been surprisingly good, I guess. Why not? Let me go, let me go Sekera. I think he's going to get a couple power play points against Mike Smith. All right, your pick. I'm going, uh, I'm going Shane Gostas Bear here. Yeah, maybe I made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> that was a silly pick. Uh, and then I got to take, if, uh, if Ovechkin's going to light up Mason, I better take Backstrom. Ah, you're getting some insurance. I see. Right. Hmm. Makes me think, I wonder if I should take some Connor McDavid line mates. I could grab Eberly, but you know what? I'm just going to say just in case Mason does win, maybe I'll take some insurance. Give me Voracek and it's Claude Giroux. There he is. I'll take Voracek and Giroux. And then you got the last pick of the draft. All right. Let's see here. You know, who's been red hot is Leon Dreisaitl. That's true. See how it does. Not on the McDavid line, though. All right, the draft is on. Good luck to you. And everyone who's listening, you could play drafts just like this. And guess what? When you download the draft app, if you enter the promo code CARLSON, you will get a 100% deposit bonus. You deposit an amount of money, it gets doubled. How good is that? So go to playdraft.com or download draft from the app store. If you're in Canada and on Android, you have to download especially. I set up a link, keepingcarlson.com slash ca. Get draft, enter that promo code Carlson, and happy drafting.
everybody. Special bonus episode for you here today. Middle of the week. You didn't expect it to happen. Here we are, and I'm here with staff writer for Dauber Hockey. He writes the weekly column, Frozen Pool Forensics. He's also senior writer and scout for Dauber Prospects, Cameron Robinson. Welcome to Keeping Carlson. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Elon. Yeah, Cam has also been a longtime patron of the podcast, always posting the most crazy trade proposals. How many times have you traded Crosby and McDavid and Ovechkin and all these superstars? I have traded for Crosby once, and I had to trade away McDavid, and then I got McDavid back. But currently, I have them both, luckily. Yeah, every trade you make seems like such a big blockbuster. and also seems like everyone in your league cares so much about rookies. You're always saying how much value these prospects have. Not even rookies, people who aren't even in the league yet. And so that's why I thought it'd be so great to have you on the show, because you clearly know so much about prospects. And so today, we're going to talk all about all of your prospect knowledge. Sounds good, yeah. It's a young man's game, so uh, it's leaning that way. we got to be focused on it. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, we got the plan for today. You're going to give us some lists here. Why don't we start? You wanted to bring up five rookies who have disappointed you this season. So I'm guessing there were some guys who maybe you even drafted. Oh, that'll be fun if that's the case. Expecting Mm. a big season from, and then so far hasn't been so good. Who do you got? Okay, yeah, so for these guys there, like you were saying, some expectations were maybe put on them a little bit more at the top of the list. Uh, But first up is Kevin Fiala. So, uh, So Fiala went 11th overall in 2014. He's a, a smaller guy, but just an explosive skater, quick, quick hands. Um, and when he's on his game, he takes aggressive lines to the net. Problem is, when he's not on his game, he plays a little on the perimeter. So uh, he's, been given, he's been given time on both the first and second line, playing with Johansson, and then looking a little bit better playing with Forsberg and Ribeiro. But he's failed to produce regularly, unfortunately. Um, his defensive game's been holding him back a little bit, which is causing him a little less ice time. And as, uh, as we've talked about, you guys have talked about on the show before, uh, Victor Arvidsson has passed him by. While not a rookie, he's been a, a bit of a surprise this year and would, would make one of these other lists. But uh, basically, Fiala needs to play like Arvidsson if he wants to succeed. And uh, he might have to bounce up and down between the minors. But a little bit of expectations for him this year, and he's, he hasn't lived up to him yet. That's fair, though. I mean, he is in a good situation. I'm looking at the line combos from Nashville's last game, and he was playing on a line with Forsberg and Johansson, so you can't get much better. Forsberg has started to bounce back. Maybe he's someone who could do better, but yeah, I guess you were expecting that he would be the main young breakout guy on Nashville and not Victor Arvidsson. Yeah, that's right. And so getting those opportunities, um, while only seeing just under 13 minutes a night, uh, you know, four goals, six points in 20 games, barely one and a bit shots. Uh, He's just not getting the production that they're hoping for putting him in those situations so so he's got some work to do yeah i'm looking at his game log here he actually had a good stretch where he had even a seven shot game surrounded by two four shot games he was taking a lot of shots at one point but lately he's has one shot in each of his last three games and his ice time looks like it's been going down so yeah i guess typical rookie right like sometimes he's up and sometimes he's down and right now he's definitely down but given the opportunity i don't know that's interesting. All right, good start. I guess maybe it's a downer that I, we're starting on the disappointing players, maybe not on the exciting players. Do you want to go back and forth, or do you want to just keep through your list of the disappointing ones first? Uh, we could go back and forth for sure. All right, so give us now a, a rookie who has impressed you so far. Okay, so uh, the th- number five on the uh, the rookies to impress is Jimmy VC. Oh, yeah? Uh, and I've got to, I've got to admit, I was, I was fairly down on him, and I was a little vocal about it. I thought that uh, the hype coming out of uh, the NCAA was a little, a little overbloated. Um, I expect seniors to put up big points in the NCAA. He stole the Hobie Baker from Kyle Connor, who I'm a much bigger fan of. But so far, he has done fairly well. He started out uh, looking pretty hot for, for New York. He's slowing down a little bit now, but he's still on pace for uh, 24 goals and 41 points, which is nothing to sneeze at as a rookie. 
He's shooting a little higher than he probably is going to maintain at 17.2%. Uh, uh, he is a goal scorer, though, and he goes to the, to the front of the net, so a lot of those uh, goals are going to keep going in for him. And he seems like he's made a pretty good pair with Derek Stepan. Uh, they play together uh, at even strength and on the power play. And, uh, yeah, so he was a guy that I was thinking wouldn't succeed that much this year, and he has. He's done fairly well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, Cameron. Like, he definitely, I agree with you that he was good. When you give his pace of, like, I guess what you said, a 41, 42-point pace so far, sure, that's really good. Except lately, you know, he's scoreless in his last four. It looks like his ice time is is kind of down lately. Well, I guess he's been sort of averaging around... 14 minutes a game for the season, but I'm seeing here on his Dauber player profile down to like 13, 12 for the last few games. And if you look at the last game also, not with Derek Stepan. Stepan was with Kreider and Zuccarello, and I'm seeing VC on, I guess, line three with Lindbergh and Jesper Fast. It's going to be hard for him to even maintain a half point per game pace moving forward if he's on the third line and off the top power play, which he was as well. Yeah, definitely. And uh, he actually, something to keep note of too, if you do have him in your your, uh, league, is that the most he's ever played is 46 games in a season. So uh, this might be a tough stretch that's coming up for him. Uh, he has four points in his last 10 games. So like you're saying, he is getting a little colder. I do think that he'll probably get back into that top six for, for a few more stretches. That was probably a, a little bit of a condition to get him to sign in New York there in the offseason. Mm. But yeah, I just uh, I thought he was a bit of a surprise for me anyways. Maybe I had lower expectations than some. But uh, if he can keep producing even close to what he's at and he can score 20, 25 goals, that's, that's pretty good for a rookie. Yeah, I guess he had so much hype by some people just because he was in the news all the time. People wondering where he was going to sign that maybe people had too high expectations, but maybe you fairly had low expectations and now he's evening out in the middle. So we've talked about Fiala and VC so far. Like as a guy who's in a dynasty league with keepers and always thinking about two, three years ahead, didn't you make a trade at one point for a 2019 draft pick? Yeah, I think I moved a 2020 pick, actually. It, uh, it got a little outrage in the league. They, they want to cap that now. Yeah, I think they should. But anyway, so who do you think is the better prospect moving forward between VC and Fiala? Maybe we could keep a running tally of who our top guy is. Yeah, I like I like high octane. I like high potential. So I would take, I'd probably go Kevin Fiala despite the, the limited production that he has going right now. Um, that also might be a little biased because I can sell youth and top end potential. Power forwards, I can't sell so easily. So uh, give me Kevin, give me, uh, Kevin Fiala there. Is this podcast going to be a commercial for you to play for other people in your league, for people you're going to try to buy and sell? Yeah, I, I actually hope they don't listen to this. They might get too much information off me. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now maybe you could get Jimmy VC for cheap because he's disappointed you. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. All right, so how about give us another player who's disappointed you? Okay. Oh, wait, yeah, Jimmy VC impressed you. He impressed me, yeah. So he was the, he was the, the fifth on the impressive list. Um, so number four on uh, rookies who uh, disappointed a little bit was uh, the guy he stole the Hobie Baker from is Kyle Connor. Yeah, you haven't heard of him at all. We haven't even mentioned him on the show, I don't think, since the season started. Yeah, so just a ton of hype coming out of, of uh, Michigan last year. 71 points in 38 games as a freshman. Um, fairly unheard of stuff. Uh, put up right close to the same point per game as uh, Jack Eichel did in his freshman year. Um, didn't get a ton of respect, though, last season. He didn't get invited to uh, Team USA's World Junior Camp. Um, he, Like we were saying, he got passed over for the Hobie Baker, as he was probably the, the obvious choice there. Uh, but he still managed to turn pro one and done after, uh, in the NCAA and then went to the World Championships with Team USA and played a, a fairly limited role, but a good experience for a young kid. Uh, Winnipeg getting Patrick Laine was probably a pretty big hit for him this season, um, but it'll probably pay dividends in the long run. So... He's, he's stuck behind Ehlers and Line and Wheeler for top uh, winger options. So he was seeing just uh, just over 12 minutes a night, um, minute and a half on power play, two on occasion, uh, one goal, four points in uh, 19 NHL games. 
So he's, he's probably, he was due to go down to the AHL. It looked like it. He needed that time. He needed that confidence. So he's down there now. He's got four points in seven games, but he's got just huge potential still. So the guy is crazy fast. Maybe one of the fastest guys in the league, as long as we don't count McDavid. Um, a great shot, great hands. Uh, and that top six in Winnipeg is going to be pretty good uh, in the future here. But so far, there was some hype for him, and he hasn't been able to step into a, a big spot and, and grab a hold of it yet. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to produce much this season. Like you say, not a lot of room for him. Yeah, definitely. So I know uh, there were some some people in leagues that, that bought on him quick and, and figured he'd get a chance maybe besides Shifley and maybe Line A at the same time. And that just uh, hasn't happened yet. But what's the plan moving forward? Like I'm seeing right now Winnipeg in their last game, they went with Little, Wheeler, and Perot, and then Ehlers, Line A, and Shifley. So I guess Perot is the guy who's ripe for the picking maybe next year to help Connor get into the top six? I think so, yeah, for sure. And he might he might bounce around in that middle six uh, next year as well. Um, but I think if we're looking two, three years down the road, he has that 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 seventy point potential. He's got skills that are, are fairly unique, and as he fills out too, he's a pretty slight guy. Um, he'll be he'll be a handful. That team's going to have a lot of speed and a lot of uh, offensive players that he's going to work with on those power plays. And that's exciting for Jets fans, and especially if Hellebuck you know meets his potential. I wonder if he's going to be on one of your lists, but. I feel like, yeah, it's a great future for them if everything sort of pans out. Maybe defense is the one place. They have Truba. Anyways, okay, who do you got next for players who are impressing you? All right. Next up here for impressive players is Matthew Kachuk. Oh, yeah. Um, So another power forward, which I was just mentioning, I'm not huge on, but uh, he slipped, I guess you could say, to six overall this, uh, this past June in the draft. When Benning was up there announcing Vancouver's fifth pick, and they said from the London Knights, I think half the people thought that it was going to be Kachuk. Uh, but he fell to Calgary, and... My expectations were he was probably going to end up in London this year. Um, so just to, to crack the lineup was a pretty big step for him. And he has done uh, really well. He's got six goals, 18 points in 31 games. Uh, four of those are, points are coming on the power play, which he's seeing just under two minutes a night on uh, the second unit. He plays a really gritty game, especially for a young guy. Uh, gets to those hard areas. Um, and so he's going to continue to get those points and, and probably keep up a pretty high shooting percentage. He's only playing 14 minutes a night uh, in the bottom six, mostly. Um, but he's he's producing eight eight assists in his last 11 games. And in the future, he's probably got a, a spot that's tailor-made for him across from Goodrow. Um, and whether that's Monaghan or Bennett in the, in the middle of it down the road. But that should be his wing spot. And that should be a pretty productive place to be. Yeah, if you're saying he's going to be the long-term right winger for Gaudreau, that must mean that he's a must-own in like these deep dynasty leagues. Like, how hot of a commodity is he in the league that you're in? Uh, well, like I said, because he is a power forward, he's not he's not a guy who's going to generate a ton of offense on his own. Um, he's more of a complimentary player, but he just seems to make <laughs> other people better around him. <laughs> you can hear my son in the background there, probably. Eh? Yeah, nice scream. Um, yeah, yeah, he's got a good good set of lungs. But he, he seems to just put up points regardless, and he gets he gets to play with good players, and he seems to make them better. So if he can find a, a home next to Goodrow, yeah, it could be it could be something special for him. I kind of look at him a, a little bit like Scotty Hartnell in his prime. You could maybe expect some some thirty thirty seasons from him. Maybe flirt with seventy one year if he's in the right situation. It could be big. That's cool. Yeah, I'm taking a look. Like he has eighteen points in thirty one games. Like you said, that's a forty eight point pace. That's pretty good for a rookie. Like sometimes that's enough to maybe have the most points of a rookie, or maybe not lately with guys like McDavid and Eichel and whoever. But back in the olden days, I remember that was a great number. I wonder what Daniel Alfredson had in his first rookie year. I'd have to go back and see. Yeah. Also, I see he has sixty two penalty minutes. So we don't talk about leagues that count that stat too often, but that must be good for people who are counting that. That's like two a game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's what I mean. He plays that hard game and. It, at 18 or he might be 19 now um 
he just plays with no fear and he goes right to the paint and he's not afraid to give it back to, to bigger, stronger D men that are in front of him. Um, and that's going to do well for him. And that was obviously why uh, he made the team as well. He, he's not afraid and he's got a good two way game, which coaches love for young players. I think he's going to do, uh, I think he's going to do well. Yeah. I mean, he's basically putting up somewhat fantasy relevant numbers in some leagues, even this year. That's only his rookie year. So probably good things ahead. All right. Yeah, I agree. I'm impressed. Also, I didn't even realize he was doing this well. Okay. So we got uh, next on the disappointing list. Number three, Jesse Puyu-Darvey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So and maybe for some people, they were expecting him to jump right onto McDavid's line as he fell into Edmonton's lap at four there, uh, number four at the draft. Um, and I think one day he will fit in perfectly next to McDavid, a little curry to uh, McDavid's Gretzky, if everything in Edmonton uh, goes well. I thought Eberle is supposed to be the curry. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's going to be Puyu-Darvey. He's, he's finished, right? It, it just it works out. But uh, from what I've seen, he's, he's struggled a little bit with uh, keeping up with his pace and his focus, despite being a great skater, just playing with that, that top-end pace that you need to at the NHL level. Um, he destroyed the World Juniors last year as a 17-year-old, him and Line and Ajo and those boys. But uh, I was a little surprised that Edmonton didn't, didn't offer to send him back for this year's tournament. Uh, Finland is sending a, a younger team, so he would have been a, a big ad for them, and he could have got some confidence, probably put up a ton of points. But they're going to keep him. Um, he's only seen about 12 minutes a night, um, but he's, he's bounced up and down kind of different, uh, different lines. Uh, last game he was, let's take a look here. He was playing with, um, well, last game, it looks like he was scratched. Yeah, that's right. So his, his most, uh, his most recent game, he was playing with Dreisaitl and, and Benoit Pouliot. But yeah, so he's seen time in the press box. He's seen time on the fourth line. He's seen it next to McDavid, um, Nugent Hopkins. He's, he's kind of just spread everywhere. And so, and that's gotta be difficult for a young guy too, to get some consistency under um, he's not shooting the puck much. He's only shooting about one and a half shots per game. And he has a high PDO. Uh, his PDO is uh, 1,044, which uh, means he's getting some puck luck and he's getting some, some good bounces out there, but still uh, just the one goal and eight points in 23 games. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he sees some time in the AHL. I think this is one of those situations where there's really no need for, for him to be with Edmonton all season if he's not succeeding. Um, I think he's shown just enough, though, where some nights he, he demonstrates that explosive skill set he has, and it's tantalizing, and he can be uh, one of the best players on the ice. So they're, they're trying to harness that, I think, as they make a push for a playoff run this year. So maybe you could explain it to me. What's this whole nine-game rule? You know how they say once a player's played nine games, like then you can't send him down or something? What's all that? Because you're saying they could still send him to the AHL if they wanted? Yeah, so he came from Europe. So if you're drafted out of the CHL, um, you can't go to the AHL until you're 20. So it's either you're in the NHL or you're in the CHL. Um, For players that are drafted out of Europe or if they're on loan from their European team and playing in the CHL, like Alex Nylander is. Um, So he played in, uh, in the OHL last year, but he was on loan from his... Uh, Swedish team so that's why he's in the AHL as a 19 year old for other players if you've signed your entry-level deal and you play less than nine games you can go back to junior and your contract slides a year so they have that three-year entry-level deal so it doesn't start until they play their 10th game in a NHL team yeah and then there's another break at 40 I think once you play 41 games or maybe it's 42 games then they move a year it counts as a year towards unrestricted free agency so you'll see some uh, some players get sent back. Like uh, a few years ago, Anthony Duclair got sent back at the halfway point, and so they kept a year of his restricted free agency on his on his contract down the road. Oh, I see. Okay, but you're saying that this doesn't count for Puliyarvi because he's coming from Europe. That's right. Well, and he's yeah, he's played enough games already too. 
it's pretty funny looking at his stat line. Like you could definitely tell where was the stretch where he was playing with McDavid. He had four points in four games and was playing like over 13, 14 minutes. And then as soon as you can see right away, a big drop off down to fewer minutes, no points, hardly any shots. And then like you've said, he's been sitting in the press box for a lot of games. So it's not looking too great for people who are hoping to get a lot from him in a one-year league. But yeah, we have seen when he plays with McDavid. The thing is, it seems like anyone who plays with McDavid is able to put up points. And we were talking about Pat Maroon earlier in the era, someone like he pretty much needed to add while he was there. That's right. And so long-term one-year leagues, yeah, he, he might he might not be able to produce much for you unless he gets hot next to McDavid uh, sometime soon. Uh, but long-term, he's, a, he's definitely someone you want to own in a keeper league or a dynasty league. He's got a lot of potential. So I know that this guy's not a rookie, but if you had to choose right now for your league, Puliyarvi or Dreisaitl, who would you prefer? <sighs> That's a tough one. Um, if you'd asked me this before the season, I would have said Puliyarvi pretty quickly. Um, but Dreisaitl just continues to impress me. The fact that he's going to stay as the number two center likely behind McDavid isn't, isn't great. Um, if he's on that top power play, though... I'd probably go. I'd probably go dry saddle today, but it's it's very close. I'd say. All right, so we've done three disappointing players, two impressive players. Give us number three of the rookies who have impressed you. Okay, so this one's from my hometown Canucks, uh, Troy Stetcher. Oh yes, I bid on him yesterday in the couple. Only $0, and someone else took him, and since I was higher in the standings, the other person got him. But he didn't even do anything yesterday. It was only for a spot start. So I was a little bit disappointed when I didn't get him, but I agree with you. I was looking at him a lot because I was, you know, thinking of making this bid, and I saw, like, top power play, taking shots. Like, he's having a great season. Yeah, for sure. It seems to happen to you a lot, hey, bidding $0 and getting beat because you're too high in the standings. You got you to gotta open up the wallet and put a dollar out there. Yeah, well, I'm losing 8-0 right now this week, so I have a feeling that I'll be getting some more $0 bids in the near future. There you go. Um, yeah, so Stetcher, he's, uh, he's a little bit older than some of these guys. He's 22, um, undrafted, uh, unrestricted free agent there in the summer after winning a national championship at North Dakota. Uh, Canucks were, scouts were probably there watching Brock Besser do his thing in, in Dakota and saw Stetcher. So he's been just really a great ad for their organization. His shot rates are fantastic for a rookie D-man. He's, uh, he's averaging just about right around three shots per game, uh, which is sits tied for fifth in the league for D-men. He's seeing over three minutes of top power play. Uh, it didn't, didn't uh, hurt that Alex Adler and Chris Tanev have been out, so he's been seeing a lot, lot of minutes, so over 21 a night. Nine points in 24 games, doesn't jump off the page, but for the amount that he's shooting, he's only converting on 1.4% of his shots. So as that continues to happen, you've got to expect some more shots to go in as long as he's not Tory Krug. Um, who's actually a fairly good comparable, I'd say, for him long-term. Um, he plays mostly with Lucas Pisa, who he's got a lugger on the ice often. Um, it's a shame he's in Vancouver. He doesn't have much to work with there. No disrespect to the Sedins, but uh, they don't score a ton of goals. But I think he's still just been a great surprise and a really good ad um, for the Canucks and for some fantasy teams. So what is the long-term plan for the Canucks right now? Like, Are they looking at Stetcher as the future top power play guy or is that going to be Ben Hutton? <clears throat> I think it's going to be Troy Stetcher. I think uh, Stetcher's been doing what they hoped uh, Ben Hutton would take that next step to. Um, Hutton, uh, he was he was producing a lot of shots uh, at the NCAA level a couple years ago too and, and he kind of came out of nowhere to make the team but I think Stetcher has a higher offensive upside um, and they like the way he walks the line, he gets his shots through, uh, he changes the angle on his release, um, quick, quick low shots. I think Hutton's probably going to end up being that second power play guy. Yeah, so I mean, definitely when you have someone on this list 
that's even someone who could be useful this year for you? Like, obviously, the top power player on a team. And the Sedins still now are good. Like, probably in the future, I don't know what's going to happen with the Canucks. They're going to be relying on Bo Horvat or whoever to put up all of their offense. But for now, I mean, Stetcher's not a bad ad even for a one-year league if it's deep enough. And definitely, it looks like if you're saying he's going to be the top power player man in the future, then, yeah, great prospect. Definitely, and especially if your league counts shots on goal. Like, mm-hmm. you can't, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't miss on him. All right, so two left on each list. Okay, uh, dis- disappointing player number two is Dylan Strom. So uh, obviously high pedigree, high draft pick. Um, on a normal draft year such as this one coming up, he probably would have been the first overall pick. Um, he was just unfortunate enough to be in one with McDavid and Eichel. Just major production in the OHL. Gets people gets people drooling, right? 240 points in the last two OHL seasons. So that's, uh, I think, about 125 games. In this year in the NHL, though, he, 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 didn't see, he hasn't seen many games uh, before getting sent back. Uh, he's seeing 78% of his starts in the offensive zone. So they were sheltering him. They were putting him in positions, you know, to succeed over two minutes of power play time a game. Again, small sample size, just seven games. But he only came away with uh, one assist. And he just looked like his foot speed wasn't quite there. Um, defensively, he probably wasn't quite ready yet. And so a bit of a surprise. I expected him to stick around because I didn't think he had anything left to prove in junior. Um, but that just kind of goes to show that he, he clearly wasn't ready because if he was even close, you'd have to think they would have kept him. Um, so he's back. He's back in Erie uh, where he has, I think, like 17 points in five games or something like this, something ridiculous. Um, he'll be captaining Team Canada. He should be the best player at the tournament, the World Juniors this year. So he should uh, he should continue to build that confidence, um, and then for the future though he still has that that big big potential. They got a ton of talent coming to Arizona, um, and he should be that top line center um, if everything breaks right for him. I kind of see him as taking probably the Mark Shifley path. So high draft pick back to junior for for his uh, draft plus one and his draft plus two season, um, and then he'll he should be in the NHL next year. And then, you know, maybe when he's 23, 24, we're looking at him as a, a top 10 score like we are at Shifley right now. That would be definitely the best case scenario. Yeah, I remember listening to some podcasts going into this season. A lot of people were talking about Strom as someone who they thought might make a big impact this year. Obviously, it didn't pan out, but it's so surprising that Arizona didn't have room for him, considering their top center right now is Martin Hansel. And then who even else is there? Like Martinuk? Like they just got Peter Holland? Like you would have thought there would have been room for Dylan Strom. This must have been one of those things where they wanted to get that extra contract year, right? Uh, yeah, potentially that, that's, that's one as well where he didn't play his nine games. Uh, they also have another rookie, Christian Dvorak, who's a year older, um, you know, put up monster numbers in London the last couple of years for the Knights. Um, and he is, uh, he's ahead of him right now. He's, a, he's got a more advanced uh, two-way game, which is, like I was saying before, just so huge for these young players. These NHL coaches just demand responsibility at both ends of the rink, even if you have the talent. Um, you've got to earn it. And so Dvorak's ahead of him for now. Um, long-term, he shouldn't be. Dvorak's probably going to fall into that 2-3 center hole. And, uh, yeah, so it, it was. People were looking at him as potentially being someone who could score 45, 50 points like Kachuk's leaning towards now. Um, but he just, I think it's his foot speed. And, uh, I think that's going to be something that he's really going to have to work on. He's going to have to get that speed up for a big man. He's got to, he's got to get moving. And is that like watching prospects? Is that the type of thing that players are able to improve on? I think so. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned Bo Horvat earlier, uh, when he got drafted there, his skating was a, a slight, uh, you know, minus for him. Um, and in the course of three years, it's become a 
a pretty big plus. Like he has some serious speed. Um, now, not every player can go and hire a, a power skating coach and, and come back with with increased speed, but it just goes to show that you can improve that. You can improve your foot speed. You can improve your top end speed. Um, different body types are going to react different ways, but I think I think you can just continue to build that that lower half, and and you should be able to get at least up to average speed at the NHL level. He might never be a, a speedster, but I think he's got some more to go. Okay, well, that's promising. I mean, what else does he have to do? Hire this guy, try to get better because, yeah, people had really high hopes for him. And I'd imagine he has a lot of value in your dynasty league. He does for sure. He's got probably a little less value than he did uh, before the season. Um, But actually, he got traded uh, along with Matthew Kachuk in my league for John Tavares. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's the that's the type of value he, he commanded a, a couple months ago. Anyways, it's crazy, right? Like, how long is it going to be before Kachuk and Dylan Strome outproduced John Tavares? Like, granted, Tavares actually isn't having such a great season. I think he's only on like a sixty point pace, but still, like, that's a crazy trade. That's not going to reap benefits for probably three, four years. Yeah, that's right. So uh, we consider ourselves a lifelong league, but that trade definitely definitely rattled some cages. People were not too pleased. Uh, maybe looking at some some tanking this year from. Uh, it's the same guy who dealt me Crosby and Price for McDavid, but uh, he's going young, very young. That's funny. Um, okay, so the next uh, next one on players who have impressed, we're going to do a little combo job here. So uh, number one and two in the draft last year, uh, Austin Matthews and Patrick Laine. Um, not to say that they have surprised with uh, how well they've done, but they have just done exceedingly well for rookies, I'd say. Um, so Matthews, obviously with that, that crazy start to his year, his career, um, cooled right off for a little bit. But he's just been consistent. Like he's even when he wasn't scoring, he's getting a lot of chances. He shoots the puck a ton. He's sixth in the league uh, for shots on goal with 115. He's got 15 goals, 24 points. Looks like him and Nylander have some serious chemistry together. I think I saw a stat there where they have combined on uh, nearly 85% of each other's goals. Uh, for some reason, Nylander's on the fourth line right now. I think uh, Babcock's not too pleased with him. But uh, Matthews is supposed to be good. He's supposed to be a franchise center sort of thing, and he is, he's been that more. I expected maybe similar to John Tavares' rookie season, um, and he looks like he's going to surpass that. And then looking at Patrick Laine, I mean, what can you say? The guy's just got a drool-worthy release. Um, I could watch those uh, those highlights of him on the power play just all day. Third in the league for goals with 18. Uh, 29 points is good for 18th in the league. Um, he's shooting 19%, which is high. Um, you know, even the best shooters in the world usually fall into that 15 to 17% zone. But uh, he is something special. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of those guys that can hover, you know, 18, 19%. He's one of the youngest guys too. He doesn't turn 19 until the end of April, I believe. He's just uh, he's he's done better than I thought, and I had some pretty high expectations for him coming into this year too. Definitely, Matthews and Line have both been really great. Matthews just came off a really good game recently, a goal and eight shots versus Anaheim, and yeah, he's just so many shots on goal. And the funny thing is, everyone was talking about Line as the one who was going to be the more shots guy, and Matthews was going to be maybe more like assistant playmaker, but that's definitely not how it's looked. Well, I mean, Line is also taking a lot of shots, but Matthews has 115 shots in 31 games. It's insane. For sure. All the all the hype on, on the goal scoring was was squarely on Line but uh, I remember listening to Mark Crawford, who coached uh, Matthews in uh, Switzerland last year, and he just said, he's like, this is a guy who's going to score 40 goals a number of times like his release is just fantastic he shoots the puck he's confident he's big he's strong and uh, we're starting to see that too in the nhl he's he's not afraid and he can put the puck in the net uh, almost as well as line a 
Yeah, well, definitely Line is going to have to have a much better shooting percentage to outscore Austin Matthews moving forward the way they're shooting now. Like, the only players who are ahead of Austin Matthews in league shots on gold right now are Brent Burns, Tarasenko, Ovechkin, Jacob Voracek, and Tyler Sagan. And next yeah. comes Austin Matthews. Yeah, who's who of, of shooters. So he's definitely uh, with some lofty company. Definitely. Oh, Aaron Ekblad is actually, like, after Matthews, there's Joe Pavelski and then Aaron Ekblad. That's pretty surprising. And seven goals to show for it, which is pretty good. We talked about Aaron Ekblad as maybe someone who was really disappointing us earlier. I guess he still only has 10 points in 33 games. But anyway, but this isn't about... He was a rookie two years ago. He's old news for this podcast. Before we move on, though, I'd be curious to know, in your league, who has more value, Matthews or Laine? Uh I'd say Patrick Laine. I'd say Laine does. Um, he, even though he went to in our fantasy draft... Just the the way he scores goals, the way he puts up points, it's it's electric. People want to own him. I'd say they're both they're both highly regarded in our league. But uh, I'd probably lean Line as the one who holds a little more value. And is it the kind of thing where even one year makes a difference? Like is Connor McDavid like nothing compared to Matthews and Line, or is McDavid still like high above these guys? Oh yeah, McDavid's the king. Nobody nobody touches him. Cool. Okay. So and then I think you still have a couple more in the disappointing list, or one left. I got one left on each here. Oh, Math- Matthews and Line were a combo. Yeah, they were they were just yeah, bunch them together. Um, so the number one disappointing rookie this year was uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand. Oh yeah, man, I I drafted him in one of my leagues. That was a bummer. I drafted him as well. I took him in the first round in uh, one of my leagues. Oh wow. Um, yeah, it's a keeper league. So but uh, so he uh, I actually I took him ninth overall. But he's he's just such a dynamic offensive player. Lots of speed, great hands. Just destroyed the WHL for a few years there. Um, and then last year in the NHL playoffs, he, he had 10 goals, 16 points in 17 games. Six of those goals were game winners in a playoff run. And the last was to clinch the Calder Cup. So he scored an OT winner to win it all. Um, just a magical uh, playoff run. Um, he had the little cup of coffee with Columbus, uh, had eight points in 12 games. Everybody was talking about how Tortorella loved him. He played with his dad 100 years ago. It was all going to work out seamlessly for him. Um, and then he just, he, maybe he came to camp with... Um, expecting to be given this ice um, I'm not sure he just he looked a little lost out there he only got five games in he had one assist just wasn't looking uh, wasn't looking confident and so he's been sent back down you know his, his minutes start to, to drop and they and they sent him back to uh, to the minors he's looked pretty good there he's been scoring some goals he's got 10 goals in uh, 20 games 14 points which is pretty good um, kind of bounced up and down a couple of times but uh, for someone who was a pretty sexy pick to be a sleeper this year, um, yeah, I'd say he's probably the most disappointing rookie for me anyways. Well, I just saw some news on Roto World today. Oliver Bjorkstrand has been called up on an emergency basis by Columbus. So maybe he'll get some more time after those five disappointing games. Maybe he'll do better in this second run this season. But yeah, that was a huge disappointment. Those eight points in 12 games last year. And then he also had a really good preseason, I recall. I really thought he was going to be one of the top scoring rookies, at least after Matthews and Line. But yeah, sent down after five games after doing nothing. That was very surprising to me for sure. Yeah, for sure. Me as well. Me as well. So, and I, I still think he has uh, some good potential um, if he can get rolling and get some confidence going. It'll be tough to crack um, into an offensive role, though. This the uh, Columbus is just—they're just scoring goals at will. It seems like that top power play is ridiculous. Um, but long term, I think he's still a guy who can he can put up pretty big points in a top six role. Um, he just needs to to get it going. Yeah, I guess his main target to get into the top six would be to bump Boone Jenner, who has had his share of time in the bottom six this year. But finally, it's looking like he's becoming a mainstay with Dubinsky and Atkinson. Man, mm-hmm. yeah, who would have thought we'd be talking about Columbus as a team that's tough to crack the top six? Just a powerhouse, yeah. 
Wild. I just picked up Brandon Saad in a league. Like, I don't know why he got dropped, but he's not even on the top power play. Like, if you're the Columbus Blue Jackets and you don't have room for Brandon Saad on your top power play, that says something. I know. I think I just saw the other night he scored his first power play point of the season. Like, he's been destroying even strength scoring. Uh, If he could get on that top unit, Brandon Saad could be a huge grab for you. Yeah. The guy who dropped him was kind of a dummy, I think. But... (laughs) I guess it's going to be tough maybe to bump Sam Gagne, someone who people weren't expecting to be on that top power play, and he's obviously taking advantage of that role, bottom six otherwise. But okay, anyways, we could go on tangents forever. Who's the top guy who's impressing you? Okay, I think you're probably going to like this one here. I know who it's going to be. Yeah, hashtag Team Orensky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I had him way up my list, though, personally. Like, I had pretty big expectations, but he's just blown them right out of the water. Um, so he's got the pedigree. Uh, he went eighth overall in 2015. He finished high school a year early to be a true freshman at, Mich- at Michigan uh, as a 17-year-old. Had a, a great season there. He dominated the NCAA, the World Juniors. Um, he showed up last year for the AHL uh, playoffs so the last bit of the season. and He put up 14 points in 17 playoff games en route to that Calder Cup victory. Just crazy stuff for a D-man and a rookie stepping right into pro hockey for the first time. So it looked like he'd probably have an inside track to at least make the team and probably see some second power play unit time, um, maybe get a little success, but just steps right onto that top unit. He sees three minutes a night on the power play, um, you know, 64% of their, their time on ice, um, 21 points, 30 games, 11 of those power play points, um, taking three shots a game. It's just everything he's done has been amazing. He's a premier asset today and going forward. So uh, biggest surprise for me and uh, in a positive way. And what do you think about his prospects for like the rest of this season? You know, he had that really hot start, then he went cold for a little bit. Now he's actually got four points in his last four games again. But I noticed the shots on goal have been a bit down lately. But, uh, you know, I'm looking at like a sample of a week or two. Do we think he's going to be able to maintain this high level of production or should we expect a few dips along the way? Yeah, with any rookie, I think, you know, he's he's 19 years old. I, I'd expect some some up and downs. And he's another guy who's who's coming from uh, the, the NCAA circuit. So he doesn't he hasn't played a ton of games. I think uh, I think one one year he played 67 combined games with tournaments and, and his regular seasons and stuff. So he'll probably tire out. He'll probably wear out seeing a lot of minutes. Um, he sees 21 and a half minutes a game. Um, but I think he could I think he can put up 50 points this year, which is fantastic for a rookie D-man. Obviously, that's that's close to the benchmark where I place for D-man that I'm interested in in fantasy is, can you get me 50 points? Because um, there's usually a ton of guys on the waiver wire who can get you 35, 40. So if you can get 50, and uh, and I didn't think he'd be getting that this year, and you know maybe year three, year four, but I think he's on pace for, I think, 56, 57 right now. And you know he might slow down a little bit, but I think 50 is, is going to be a pretty safe bet for him. Yeah, well, then he'd only need to have like a 40, 45-point pace moving forward to do that. And, you know, for a defenseman, that's pretty good. If you get a point every couple games from a defenseman, especially when you probably drafted, well, maybe not you, in a prospects league. I know for me, I was able to draft him pretty late and even picked him up as a free agent in the Cacupful, which is just a one-year league. So definitely a huge surprise. Everyone's now really hoping. I'm just hoping now that I didn't oversell him on the podcast and make people spend too much for him. Yeah, it's it's tough to oversell this guy. Um, before the before our draft that in my league, there I was just pulling my hair out on either him or, or Ivan Provorov, um, and I just went back and forth on it. And I liked Provorov as like that complete player. I thought he'd do better to start because um, he's so good defensively as well, and he's got the offense. But I mean, they're on call. I should have gone Warensky. Yeah, well, Provorov also just doesn't have that spot in the lineup. Like, if you're not on the top power play on Philadelphia, you're probably not even going to get much power play time at all. They definitely use that top unit exclusively. While Zach you know, he's pretty tidily, at least so far, beating out Seth Jones 
I still wouldn't be surprised. I don't know, but you probably know more than me. Like, I feel like I wouldn't be that surprised if Seth Jones maybe gets a turn at some point on that top power play. Like, he is also a highly regarded prospect from what I know about him. But are you confident that Zach Wierenski is going to be the main guy there? I am, yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't think... I think Seth Jones is a is a, a great player, a great two-way guy. Um, he has all those physical attributes that, that make it seem like he could probably put up a bunch of points, but I don't think it's even close for, for offensive skill set between him and Wierenski. I think that's his uh, spot for the foreseeable future anyways. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, you look at the names of Columbus, there's been a lot of names that we've brought up on the podcast over the last couple of years. You know, Jack Johnson at one point was able to put up some points, and David Savard, we thought, might be someone that could do well. Ryan Murray also, but yeah, Wierenski's obviously blowing them all out of the water. I remember last year, Brian and I were tearing our hair out all season long, trying to figure out who was going to be the top power play man on Columbus, especially before they got Seth Jones. Yeah, no question there now. Yeah. All right, so we've, we're done with these lists, but you have another list for us, right? Well, I've got uh, we can we can run through this fairly quickly here, but I've got uh, ten players to watch. So, you know, some of these guys might get a crack in the back half of this year um, or next year. So, so some young players to keep your eye on, uh, especially in keeper leagues, dynasty leagues, and then you know just keep them on your radar for for potentially one year leagues next year too. There's always a, a couple like we've talked about that surprise and put up points right away. Cool. And yeah, and definitely also let us know if there's anyone who you think people should even consider picking up this year at some point or someone that maybe they should add to their watch list. Yeah, definitely. Um, so number 10 is uh, Brendan Leipzig. So he's a, a third rounder in 2012 uh, to Nashville. He got sent to Toronto in the Cody Franzen trade. He's basically a Brad Marchant clone. So he's five foot nine, but you know when he's on the ice if you're on the other team. Like he is just hard to play against. He's got a mouth, a motor. Um, and he can put the puck in the net. So he had a couple of big seasons in Portland in the WHL next to uh, Bjorkstrand and uh, Nick Patan. He's been doing very well in the AHL. He's been he's been marinating down there. This year he's got uh, 27 points in 22 games, so right, at, right near the top of the scoring list for the AHL. Um, and I think he's going to be slotting in as a nice complementary player in that really high-skilled Maple Leafs top six. I think maybe that Zach Hyman position, that could be something that he could push him out of the way um, in maybe the back half of this year or next year. Um, I think he's, he's going to be a guy who's probably going to be under the radar for a lot of leagues, and he could put up some points. Wow, okay. The Leafs, so many good prospects. Brendan Leipzig, if he could get in the top six with like Marner and Nylander and of course Austin Matthews, who you've talked about, that's wild that they have so many guys. If this guy's going to be like a Brad Marchand, like watch out. Though, what do you think about when comparables like these are made? I know you also said one earlier. Oh yeah, you said Matthew Kachuk is like Scotty Hartnell. So uh, I make those comparisons as uh, stylistic, right? So obviously they're not, they're, nobody's the same player. Everyone's kind of an individual, but stylistically, um, Leipzig, you know, he's the stature's the same, and he just plays that hard game, you know, he, and he's competent. He's he's got some really nice offensive skills too. Cool. All right. Well, good time to be a Leafs fan, I guess. And then on the defense, we talked about Gardner on the last episode, who's starting to do kind of well, and Riley and Zaitsev. So looks like a pretty well-rounded team. And Anderson has been doing good, man, for so long. It was like the Leafs were the laughing stock, and all of a sudden they look like they're going to be a real contender. If not this year, then pretty soon. Uh, yeah, they built some nice pieces for sure. Uh, so I could, uh, I could, for this next guy, I could talk about a whole slew of, uh, San Jose Sharks prospects, but we'll just pick one. Um, Kevin LeBanc. So he was a sixth rounder in 2014. The last two years in the OHL, he put up 234 points in 133 games. Um, I think he had 127 last year as a 19, 20 year old, an older player, but still just fantastic results. Um, stepped into the, uh, AHL this year after having a really good preseason with San Jose. He was their last cut. Um, and he's put up uh, 13 points in eight games. Um, he's up with the big club right now. 
He's got uh, four goals and six points in 20 NHL games. He's only seen, seen 13 minutes of ice um, and just uh, 45 seconds of power play time. He's had an audition with the Joes for a little bit, and he looked good there. He, he's played with Couture. Um, he's just a pure offensive player. He passes the puck so well, and he, and he can finish it too. But um, just one of those guys that was underrated. He wasn't the, the greatest skater in his draft year. He had some knocks on him, but he just finds a way to put up points. And I think he's going to have a really good shot to earn a top six role for keeps next season in San Jose. They really like him there. Um, so he could be a sleeper to keep your eye on for this year um, and uh, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's always exciting when you could have a guy playing with someone like Logan Couture. Even right now, he was with him in the last game. We brought up Timo Meyer on the podcast last week, and he's someone who in our Facebook group, a lot of people were talking about who is the more highly regarded prospect between Meyer and LeBanc. Um, highly regarded would probably be Timo Meyer. He's got the pedigree. He was, I think he was the ninth or 10th overall pick. Um, a couple years ago, put up some big numbers, but he's like, I was talking about more of that power forward. So like in real life, he might bring some more elements that LeBlanc doesn't. Um, but for fantasy, I want those guys that have big totals that have that potential to, to really put up numbers. Um, and Timo Meyer might be able to do that too. So, um, but for me right now, give me a LeBlanc. Um, we'll see how Meyer develops. Um, he might be able to take that role for sure. Cause he does have the pedigree. Cool. Yeah, I'm seeing LeBanc also even getting power play time on the second unit. So good for him. A nice rookie season. At least good start to it. We'll see if he could stay in that top six for a little bit longer. Yeah, that's right. So that'll be the, that'll be the key is getting getting the opportunities. But he does just uh, he finds a way to produce. So and down in the minors, like he's just playing on a, a stacked team um, next to Daniel Regan, someone to watch out for. Uh, putting up a ton of points. I think he's got 22 and or 27 points in 22 games. Uh, Nikolai Goldobin's down there. They got uh, San Jose for for a team that was aging and their window was closing. They have some pretty good prospects still. So who do you got next as players to watch out for? Uh, so this one this one's probably going to be a bit of a long shot for next year, but someone to keep on your radar moving forward is uh, Kirill Kaprizov. So he's uh, a Minnesota fifth rounder from uh, 2015. He's 19, and he is just uh, he's putting up a, a pretty historic season in the KHL this year as a 19 year old. Um, so he's got 30 points in 37 games over there. His, uh, which is a 0.81 uh, point per game output, which is behind just Nikita Filatov and Evgeny Kuznetsov for the most uh, point per game output by anyone in the KHL ever who was under the age of 20, um, which is some pretty nice uh, players to be compared to. He's uh, got speed, hands, shot, just basically the full offensive toolbox. And uh, there was talk that he might be coming over to North America for next season. He has one year left on his deal. Um, and there was, there, there is still some whispers that he could, uh, he could buy out his own contract, which has been done before. Um, but I would say the more likely situation is he plays one more year for, uh, UFA and then comes over, might need a little time in the AHL to start moving over to the smaller rink. But this is a guy who has a lot of potential. And, uh, as you'll see at the world juniors in a, in a week or so here, he's gonna, this will be his coming out party. I think he's probably going to lead Russia in scoring and they're a, a deep and, and powerful team this year. So you could uh, you could get on people's radar. So you'll hear about him here first. Okay, cool. Yeah, definitely. I hadn't heard of him before. You just mentioned him, Kirill Kaprizov. How valuable do you think the World Junior Championship tournament is in appraising prospects for fantasy? And I guess also for real NHL scouts. But it's like it's just a short tournament. It kind of seems like a small sample size to me. But I know a lot of people make a lot of judgments based on how that tournament goes. Yeah, for me, I think you can a player can increase their value at the World Juniors. They can have a big tournament. You know, you look at what Line I did last year, uh, Sebastian Aho. These guys were having good years over in Europe as well. But you come, you get on the big stage. Everybody sees you do well. Uh, that it can increase your value. I don't. Uh, I don't judge players too harshly if they don't have a great tournament because it is such a short 
a short time, um, and you know things things happen. But um, the hype that comes with the World Juniors um, can be exploited. So myself, I had uh, Brock Besser and Matt Barzell on my roster, and I'd just been waiting for the World Juniors for the hype to come up. Um, Besser's injured, unfortunately, so he won't be there. But I, uh, Barzell will have a, a pretty big role on that team, and so you know that's something for people to think of in those in those keeper leagues. If you have some young prospects and they go there and they do well, maybe you sell them early and get a player who's <laughs> producing right now. Yeah, I know your plan. You don't actually care about having him on your team ever. You just want him so that he can play well in the tournament. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so next guy just just brought him up, Brock Besser. He went twenty third overall in twenty fifteen to to Vancouver. Just he's an A-rated prospect in my mind. He has an elite shot. He's not Patrick Line, but he he has just a wicked release. He changes the angles. Um, very deceptive. Um, bull in a china shop sort of thing. He's got he's got decent speed, but he just goes to hard areas, and that release comes off so quickly, and he usually flies right by the goalie's ear. Um, he had just a monster season as a freshman at North Dakota last year, 60 points in 42 games. He had four points in the national championship game the, that they won. Um, started this season as uh, the Hobie Baker favorite, one of them. Had six goals, 12 points in the first five games um, with a wrist injury that he suffered in the offseason. Um, I guess it was lingering. They tried to sit him out for a bit. Uh, it wasn't healing, so they opted for surgery. So unfortunately, he won't be the World Juniors to boost his trade value for me. Um, but he should be back in, in early January, probably terrorizing um, college goalies. I think the plan for him is to finish his season at North Dakota, uh, sign a contract with Vancouver, and probably get into a half dozen or so games with the Canucks for the end of the season uh, so they can get a look at what they got coming. And then he should be on the team next year and in a scoring role, you know, hopefully next to uh, Bo Horvat, and they can, they can find some chemistry. Yeah, I guess that's the big limiting factor, though, for a guy like Brock Besser. Like going to Vancouver, like I just can't imagine anyone on that team getting a lot of points that's not named Sedin, even if you are Sedin. Yeah, the transition is going to be probably a little bumpy for for him and the whole Canucks. But uh, I think if if you if you match Horvat up with a player like like Besser, who I was saying he's he's an A rated prospect. Like he's a guy, a difference maker. He can he can create offense on his own. Um, he can finish. He's pretty good defensively as well. I think the transition will be a little less bumpy maybe for him than some other offensive players stepping into a, a bottom-feeding team like Vancouver. Cool. So who is, would you say, the top prospect on Vancouver right now? If you could have any player on Vancouver in your league, aside from Daniel or Henrik, who would you want? Uh, yeah, I'd probably want Besser. He's their top prospect, um, top fantasy prospect anyways. So I scout the Canucks four Dauber prospects, and he's, he's my number one ranked prospect on that list, uh, followed by Thatcher Demko, who I think has got the potential to be a, a, like a really solid starting goaltender. Um, probably two years away yet from that happening, but... Uh, you know, they, they have some future pieces, and they'll get a high draft pick this year. So you look three, four years down the road, and they, it might be a completely different team with some high offensive players. That would be cool. I guess, yeah, if you look at Buffalo a couple of years ago, you wouldn't have expected them to have such a potent top six, or at least a potent-looking top six. That's right. Or the Jets or Toronto. It, it, can, it can change fairly quickly, you know, within reason. So someone offers you Bo Horvat for Brock Besser right now. I guess you don't really have room for Horvat in your lineup. I've seen your lineup. It is star-studded. So I guess, yeah, you might as well hold on to the prospect. Exactly, right. Yeah, you can you can sell potential too, right? When guys are in the NHL already and they're not doing great, but they're doing okay, not as appealing to someone who's not in the NHL but doing really well against junior players. You know? Right. But you know just as well as me that Besser's going to come to the NHL next year and probably not even do as well as Bo Horvat is doing this year, and then he's going to lose all of his values. So you got to sell him earlier, and someone will be disappointed that they have him. Yeah, it's hopefully why no one in my league's listening here, so they don't know this. <laughs> um, okay, next up is a, a guy we already talked about, but I think he's one to watch. So I think Kyle Connor, 
So when, like we talked about, he was he's had a disappointing start, but uh, but just a lot of potential still moving forward. So so I think for the the back half of this year, I think he could get called up and, and make a little bit of a mark. But then next season, I think he'll really push for that top six role. Yeah, I guess maybe if there's an injury in Winnipeg, that might be his best chance at having a role this year. Otherwise, we probably have to wait till next year. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, next guy up, I, I just briefly mentioned him as well, is Daniel O'Regan. So this is a guy who's who's flown under the radar. He was a fifth rounder in 2012, so an older player, which means he's probably uh, you know a little more experienced. He's he's gonna have a little more uh, substance to his game in in both ends of the rink, which we talked about. The coaches love. Um, he did full four years at uh, Boston University. Got to play with Eichel for one year. Put up 50 odd points. Um, came back as a senior, and everyone wanted to know was it Eichel or was it you? Um, and he had another good season. He's uh, turned pro and he's got 27 points in 22 AHL games, which is right at the top of the scoring list. Uh, he's not a big guy, five foot ten, but he's skilled. He's very smart. He's crafty out there. Um, a two-way player, good hands, good good distribution qualities, um, and he's and he could find himself uh, a spot in that top six as well um, moving forward. There's not a lot of spots in, in San Jose's top six, but Patrick Morrow is getting older, even though he's kind of bouncing in the middle right now. Joel Ward, there's there's some guys that can be pushed around for some more skilled players if they want it. Yeah, for sure. So. Would you expect O'Regan to push LeBanc out of the top six, potentially? Yeah, so I think those guys are going to be battling as as it comes down uh, the next couple of years. So um, O'Regan's probably a little more feisty and uh, a little better two-way game, so he might end up being the guy who falls into that third-line role, um, where LeBanc's more pure offense, so he might have a little more potential to, to put it up later. Um, so this next guy I'm sure you've heard about before, uh, maybe just from me spouting him off onto the Facebook page, but uh, UC Soros. Oh, yeah. He just got a win yesterday. Yeah, he 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 does well. If he gets run support, he he's going to get a win. Um, fourth rounder in 2013. Uh, he's 21. He's five foot ten. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there are very few goaltenders in this day and age five foot ten or under six foot tall that uh, succeed. Um, but he just has incredible anticipation and reaction. So he he kind of takes the size out of the equation. He gets post to post with the best of them. Quality uh, stats have just followed him around. So uh, he won the SM Liga Rookie of the Year in 2013-14. He got a World Junior Gold. Um, he was the AHL All-Rookie Team goalie last season. Uh, so far in the AHL this year, he's got a 938 save percentage in 13 games. He's got a 950 save percentage in five NHL games. Um, he just looks so strong. Uh, I, th- I really think it's going to be a Matt Murray, Marc-Andre Fleury situation. Like even this year? Potentially. So... Pecorini's got two more years after this year at $7 million. Uh, so he's he's not going anywhere, but he's been prone to injury. He's definitely been prone to putting up some poor numbers. Uh, he's, he's only got a couple years, Rene, uh, where he's, he's actually produced. He's got this reputation as an all-star goaltender, but if you look at his numbers, he's got a ton of 9-10 save percentage, 9-0-8 save percentage years. Um, he started out really strong um, outside of a, a game this week. I think he had six straight games below 900 save percentage. So if that if that keeps happening and uh, Saros keeps playing the way he is, he's going to get some starts. Um, and if Rene happens to get on the shelf at the at the end of the season or something like that, I could see Saros uh, taking them for a decent run, like Murray did for Pittsburgh. Yeah, to me, it just I think I said this also on Sunday. Like it just seems so obvious to me that UC Saros is a better bet right now than Pecorina. Just looking at their numbers this year, like every time Saros plays, he's done well. Like, like if you look, what he has five games played. He had one where he had an 889 save percentage. He led in three goals on 27 shots, which isn't even that bad, really. But aside from that, 
He's been over like 950 every game. Like he's taking a ton of shots against and he's stopping most of them. Only one goal against in every single game he's played except for that one against Philly. Yeah, and that's all he does. That's all he's been doing since Finland and in the AHL last year. He just puts up big numbers. And you look at him, he's not like Jonathan Quick where he has to make these giant acrobatic saves because he's out of position. He reads the play so well and because he has to. Everyone's told him his whole life, you know, you're too small to be an NHL goaltender. Um, and he's he's my bet to to break that mold that he's a guy at five foot ten that could be a star in the NHL. Yeah, it's interesting though. It's he's kind of a frustrating guy to add, I guess, this year because he's been going up and down to and from the minors with Merrick Mazanik, you know, trading places with him. So it's like if he's not playing, he's in the minors, not even backing up, which obviously makes him tough to hold on your roster if you don't have a minors system in place. Yeah, so um, they've got a, a system going on there where they they can't trust um, Mazanik to play in the NHL. Um, so they want Soros to keep getting starts. They don't want him just sitting on the bench behind Rene. So they, if he's not going to play, they send him back to the minors. He plays a few games until Rene needs a break. They call him back up. They play him. So Maznik just basically doesn't get NHL, any NHL time and then gets limited AHL time. So a pretty bad spot for him. But uh, I think it's an interesting way for Nashville to handle uh, the Soros situation. That they're keeping him getting lots of reps uh, in the AHL where he's, he's dominating. He's at the top of the, the goalie stat list. Um, and then he's still getting his feet wet in the NHL. Um, at 21, you know, most goalies take longer to develop. Uh, and, you know, it might be the case where Rene can hold it together and he makes so much money that they, they can't move him or they don't want to move him. They got too much uh, invested that it might take him those two years. But then you're looking at a 23-year-old starting goaltender on what should still be a, a pretty strong Nashville team. So long term, I think he's uh, he's a great player to have. And then short term, if you want to roll the dice, it could be a, another Matt Murray situation at some point. So at this point, who would you rather have between Saros and Matt Murray if you're thinking like, you know, a couple years down the road? I want Matt Murray. Is he like the main prospect goalie right now that people talk about? I'd, I'd say so. Him and Vasilevsky are, are the two guys that, that uh, everybody wants to have, right? They're young, they're talented, they're playing on good teams. Um, Hellebuck's probably number three in that list. Um, but, uh, but I think Saros is going to be wedging his way into that conversation here pretty quick. Yeah, and Vasilevsky is disappointing some of his owners a bit this year. Mm-hmm. Though Bishop is injured now, so now Vas will have some chance to prove himself. But, you know, I guess obviously it's been such a small sample size with UC Soros that we can't say much about him. But right now, I wonder if you could use your sales techniques and, I don't know, do you have UC Soros? I was going to say, if you had him, maybe you could get a Vasilevsky right now since you could say, oh, look at the potential here compared to Vasilevsky, who just be- keeps crapping the bed every night. Yeah, I do have Soros. That's not a bad idea. Maybe I'll uh, send a text here later tonight. <laughs> See what you can do. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, number three on the players to watch. So uh, another guy that I think you guys have spoken about a few times on the podcast is Anthony D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very surprising when a guy gets called up and goes right to the top power play. Obviously, he's not the main point guy like Ghost Bear last year, but still, you know, playing with Oliver ekman Larson and being on the top power play is pretty good. Yeah, not a bad spot to be. Um, so he's, uh, he's he got the pedigree, 19th overall in 2014. Probably should have gone in the top 10. Um, some questions about his size. There was a, a hazing incident that he got suspended for in junior for a little bit, so maybe some off-ice stuff uh, that teams were hesitant on. Um, but Tampa took him. And then when he got traded at the draft this year, it seemed like Steve Yeiserman probably knew something that we didn't know. You know, maybe there was those off-ice issues weren't there. Maybe he figured he, he's too one-dimensional, just pure offense. But 
going to Arizona is going to be a great spot for him. Um, you know, he was doing very well in the AHL. He got 43 points in 67 games last year. He started out really strong. And then, like you were saying, he get called up and get put right on that top unit next to OEL. Eight points in 14 games, five of those on the power play, seeing 19 minutes a night, under just under three minutes of power play. You know, a little surprising that he got he gets healthy scratched and then sent back down to the minors with the production. But um, like we've said a few times here, you know, especially for defensemen, um, you need to be able to handle big, strong NHL forwards coming down at you and, and down low there. And he doesn't have that quite yet. So he's going to probably bounce up and down um, in, unless he ends up being kind of a specialist for a little while, playing third line minutes, sheltered and uh, third pairing minutes, and then on that top unit. But he's just a great skater, um, has great edge work. So he's shifty through the neutral zone. I uh, can hold the line really well. He gets his shots through. Um, just a ton of offensive talent. Um, just oozes out of him. And, you know, I think he had close to 90 points in, in 55 games in uh, the OHL a couple years ago. Um, and then, like we've said, Arizona, they've got, you know, they've got Clayton Keller coming, who I'm so high on um, as another just pure offensive guy. They've got Strom, they've got Dvorak, they've got Perlini, Christian Fisher, they've got a lot of talent coming. Um, so I think he's going to do very well on that top unit next to Ekman Larson. Yeah, and plus Max Domi. Yeah, exactly, who their top wing option. That's cool. Well, D'Angelo, it's nice to have a guy who's also producing now. He was healthy scratched in Arizona's last game, but it seems like him and Michael Stone, I'm surprised actually Michael Stone has also been getting healthy scratched lately. That wasn't something we saw much of last year, but we'll see. It seems like when he plays, he's given good opportunities. He plays like 19 plus minutes a game when he does play, which is pretty impressive for a rookie for sure. So yeah, definitely a good pick there. Now I'm very curious to see who will be in your top two. Number two here. Uh, this is a guy brought to your attention right before he had his first NHL game, Jake Gunsel. Oh yeah. So he's uh, he's 22, so a little bit older. He, he had a great NCAA career. Uh, slighter guy, five foot eleven. I think he was drafted at 160 pounds, something like that. Uh, so he slipped to the third round, I believe. Yeah, so he stepped into the AHL last year after his NCAA season was done and uh, just just started producing. Um, had a great playoff run um, with Wilkesbury, and then this year in the in the AHL, he's got. 26 points in 22 games. I think he's since he's been sent back down, he's got uh, two points in something like five out of six games, five out of seven games. So he's just uh, destroying the AHL as a rookie down there. Um, he obviously stepped up when he got called in and, and played next to Malkin and had uh, three goals and one assist in five games. Another one of these guys who just got limitless offensive potential. Um, and when you're on a team that has Crosby and Malkin down the middle, and you've got a guy like Kunitz holding one of those top six winger spots. I think uh, it's going to be prime prime for him to be taking that either later this season and definitely next season. So he's uh, he's definitely one with a high ceiling and uh, he's going to be in a great spot. Like, could you see him breaking 40, 45 points next year? Yeah, I could for sure. Cool. All right. So now we're down to number one. Yeah. And uh, I'll be curious if you've heard of this guy. So Nikita Gusev. Can't say I have. Okay. So a seventh rounder. From Tampa Bay in 2012, and he's 24 years old. He is best buddies with Nikita Kucherov. Is it because they have the same name? Uh, that's probably what got them anyways started. Yeah, I'd love to meet another Elon. Right? Yeah. So he's got blazing speed, uh, great edge work. He's a dynamic player. Um, he's got 46 points in 36 games in the KHL this year. Um, he's got more than Pavel Datsuk as a comparison. And Datsuk's playing on a stacked uh, team next to Kovalchuk. Um so like I was saying, he's 24. His contract's up at the end of this year in the KHL. There was whispers of him coming over uh, this last offseason. Um, I think this is 
he's kind of that big boomer bust sort of thing. So you, you, if you get this guy on your watch list or you pump his name into Twitter as the season's coming to an end and you find out he is coming over to Tampa Bay, um, he's only coming over to play in the NHL. He's only coming over to play in the top six. And I think, uh, I think Kucherov's probably going to be whispering in some ears for him as well. Um, if he does come over, he could be, uh, have a Panarin-like impact. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. 24 years old, star winger waiting for him. Exactly. Yeah, it could uh, it could be a perfect fit in Tampa. Um, so one of these guys that just has a high, high ceiling, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't sell the farm for him. I probably wouldn't grab him now. I would just keep an eye out. And if you hear he's coming over, take a flyer on him. Um, if you're in a keeper league or if, uh, as a one-year league, you know, I'm sure Panarin fell pretty far in those uh, drafts last year. Uh, you know, take uh, take a flyer on Gusev. Okay, well, we'll definitely have to remember that people uh, maybe should be bookmarking this podcast or whatever you could do in your podcast app so that you could listen to it as your draft approaches next year, deciding which rookies you want to draft. There you go. That's a great idea. All right. Well, Cameron, that was so fun having you on and talking to you. Like always, you know, I was thinking we talked for like half hour, 45 minutes. Of course, it's been like an hour and 15 because it's so fun talking about all these players. And definitely you bring a wealth of knowledge that Brian and I don't have. So it was really handy having you on the show. And I think people really enjoyed it. Yeah, I appreciate it, Elon. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And now the most important thing, what's going on in our draft right now? Uh, I guess it's too early to tell, but maybe picking Steve Mason was a pretty good idea. So far, it's 0-0 after a period. Oh, no, Washington scored. Ha, you're going to lose. (laughs) Did Nick Backstrom get a point? No, Burakovsky from Eller and Orla. Burakovsky, who had been healthy scratched for a couple of games, comes back in and gets a goal from the third line. So that doesn't really help most people in fantasy unless you're a Holtby owner or against someone who has Mason, like I am in our draft. That's uh, Burakovsky's first goal since the first game of the season when he popped two. Really? He needed that, yeah. All right, so give us your quick take on Burakovsky. Is there still upside there? He's not a rookie anymore, but he was last year. I really like uh, Burakovsky. I uh, I traded Craig Anderson for him in the offseason, picking oh, wow. him as a sleeper to have a breakout year. It obviously hasn't happened. He's probably going to be one of those more classic fourth-year guys, but he's uh, he's got a lot of game, and he should be meshing really well with either Backstrom or Kuznetsov long-term here. I think I think keep him keep watching him for next year. He could be one of these guys that blows up. Okay, I guess I won't keep you. Your son has been calling for you all episode also. So yeah. thanks again. And for everyone listening, thanks for listening to the bonus show. Hope you liked it, and we'll catch you all with a regular episode next Monday. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Elon. Bye.